only source of true delight whom I unseen adore unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more oh that I might love thee more you're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian the following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding Isaiah chapter 9. If you're visiting, um, not accustomed to finding things in the Bible, uh, or you're a member and you're not accustomed to finding things in the Bible, uh, it's on page 573 in the uh, blue Bible that's there in the pew or chair, uh, page 573. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Galilee is the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, just a different name. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian." For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Lord, bless us, we pray, as we consider your word, as we meditate on this word that you have given us through the prophet Isaiah that speaks of this son given to us, this one who came out of Galilee, out of the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Lord, may we worship him all the more, trust him all the more, seek him all the more, Rest in him and honor him and seek to conform our ways to him and seek to manifest him, Lord, all the more because of the Spirit working in our hearts tonight through this word. Amen. In a lot of neighborhoods, there's a 
sometimes a particular house uh, where the neighborhood bully lives. And people, little boys, know you don't go by that house, you don't go in back of that house, you stay as far away as you can from that house, and you avoid it no matter what, because any time that door opens, it's not going to be good, you know, because that guy's coming out to get you. And that's the way it really was with Galilee. Uh, Zebulun Naphtali made up this northeast chunk of Israel. Uh, it's kind of the outer edge of Israel, and it was a frayed edge for sure. They were always exposed to the first attacks from Assyria and the like coming down the pike to Israel. They served as a kind of tunnel or bridge, you see, to give Assyria access to attack Israel. And so Galilee is kind of where the battering ram of foreign invaders burst open the gate uh, into the rest of Israel, where, where the waters broke through the dam to flood Israel. It happened in Naphtali and Zebulun. And this was the section of Israel that Assyria first deported. Any news from Zebulun and Naphtali was generally not good news. And anything coming out of there was generally not good. And being on the edge of Israel like this, it was also the, the gateway of pagan influence. Uh, this was the seepage point for the sewage of idolatry. It despised even in Christ's day, uh, can, as they were coming into contact with Christ, even his future disciples would say, John 1, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? You've got to be kidding. Or later in 741, surely the Messiah is not going to come from Galilee, is he? No way, it can't be that he would come from Galilee. Lowly Galilee, devastated by avalanches of enemy attacks, contaminated by the toxic waste of pagan worship, war-torn, pagan-worn, Zebulun and Naphtali, Galilee was a boil on Israel's northern border. But a stunning victory is in the making with for Galilee, for Zebulun and Naphtali. It's like Baylor playing LSU for the national championship, and they win. There's spontaneous dancing, dancing even in Baptist Waco, as they find out. 10,000 times someone says, did you see how he stretched out his hand and caught the ball with one hand? That was awesome. That was the game over and over and over. Well, nothing compared to the joy uh, of verse 3 where he says, it is a joy of abundant harvest, of military victory, of the dividing of the spoils. When it mentions the burden and, and, and oppressor of verse 4, it calls to mind the Egyptian bondage itself and that glorious release from Egypt so that the blistering flame of oppression is snuffed out as surely as God wiped out the Gideonites. That's the comparison. And so the biting agony of war in this passage is taken away by this light that breaks out of all places, in dark Galilee. And so this patch of real estate, uh, this source of destruction is going to be the source of deliverance. This source of ruin is going to be the source of restoration. 
And, and the way it's described is this light breaks out in dark Galilee. It engulfs all of Israel and all of the world out of Galilee. This is going to affect the whole earth. It's going to affect all of history. It's a ticker tape parade. This is a millennial New Year's celebration. Galilee, this place of terrible loss, would now be the hub of salvation for all mankind. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And the source of it all is a person, a son, a child. This Davidic king, one of David's heirs, and his the, the names that are given here in the famous passage in verse 6, these are names that describe what kind of king he is going to be. The character and the attributes of this glorious king that is going to transform the world itself. These are basically throne names. In, this is an enthronement passage. He is being enthroned. This is what he is like, and this is what he's going to do in the darkest of places. And so there's a theme here, and really it's one of the biggest ideas in Scripture. It's devastating in one sense because of what it says about us, but it's liberating because of what it says about God and what he will do for us. Now, it's not what I'm about to say, okay? Let me repeat, it's not about what I'm about to say. But we've all heard this for a long time, many times, and most of us perhaps even thought it was in the Bible at one point. I heard it every week in the Velvetones, the choir, my high school choir, because this is what our choir director would tell us as he was trying to urge us to work hard. And you probably know what I'm going to say. God helps those that help themselves. Okay? God helps those that help themselves. Now, spiritually, in terms of trying to gain God's acceptance, it's not God helps those that help themselves, but rather God judges those who think they can help themselves. Okay? That's accurate. God judges those that think they can help themselves by gaining an acceptance with God on their own, based on their own works. No, God helps the helpless, period. That's the the message, one of the messages, one of the central things of Scripture is God comes to the helpless and he helps them. I recently saw a, a stunning picture of Europe taken at night and the light was amazing, spread over Europe. The lights of large cities and small cities, big clusters, tiny clusters, uh, Paris and London, of course, were, were gigantic. Now, if God helps those that help themselves, then he's going to look for the greatest cluster of light and join his light to that cluster. That's God helps those that help themselves. Uh, they're obviously helping themselves the most. And that's where I'm going to go. Because I like those that are already helping themselves the most. But that's not what this says, does it? The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. 
And later in chapter 60, Isaiah writes, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. And so the Lord rises on our darkness. That's the good news. He arises on our darkness. He arises on your darkness, whatever it is. He rises on the darkness of your sin with the light of forgiveness and a joyful embrace. And our reaction, if we begin to understand our own sin, is, yeah, but you don't realize how dark it is. And you've heard me say this before, but I'll remind you of that cute little a cartoon where Skylar in the comic shoe is sitting there taking a test and he's really trying to, he doesn't do too well in school, he's really trying to figure this one out and he says, maybe if I just search my mind I can find the answer. Last frame he says, boy it's dark in there. <laughs> and if we looked inside morally, we see ourselves, we just say, Gosh, it's dark in there. Golly, nobody knows how dark it is. Nobody knows the things I think. Nobody knows the things I've felt. I'd be horrified if they did. But you see, to argue that your life is so dark that either you don't need the light or the light wouldn't come to you or it's not appropriate that the light would... You see, this statement itself says... You know, you might be a candidate then, right? Yeah, but I'm so dark. That's where the light should go. Like a man saying, well, I'm so poor. I don't, this guy's going to offer to help you, but I'm so poor. That's why he wants to help you. Uh, the doctor's here. Yeah, but I'm sick. <laughs> right. That's why the doctor's here. And if you're going to put lights out in a field and you're trying to spread them around, you, you put them where the darkness is. Be encouraged that whatever your darkness is, wherever your sin is, that's where God wants to heal. That's what God wants to do for you. Light represents his presence, his gracious, powerful, saving presence. And he would flood your darkness with his light. And of course, the central feature of what he did to take away our sin is the cross itself, where this child, we know, bears our sins in his body on the cross, as Peter put it. Or as Paul put it, he who knew no sin became sin for our sake, that we in him might become the righteousness of God. So in your deepest darkness, you can enjoy a clean conscience. You can be hidden in the glory of Christ as you stand before God. When you take him as your refuge, his relations with the Father become your relations with the Father. His acceptance becomes your acceptance. The full light of God's favor is its unmixed favor. It's only favor. It's always favor. That light rests upon you. And I love the way it, he puts it in Isaiah, puts it, his glory will appear upon you. It's the glory of his kind embrace and his love as he takes away your sin through Jesus Christ and makes you acceptable and embraced forever by him. 
But he rises on the darkness of your sinful habits and your sinful tendencies, on all the darkness of character that you know clouds your heart, and I know clouds my heart. He rises on the darkness of relational alienation and pain and loss to bring what each of us needs in these circumstances, self-awareness, humility, joyful servanthood, peace, reconciliation. He is the Prince of Peace, peace with God, shalom, wholeness and completeness with God and shalom with one another. Shalom with the restored earth in the final day. Shalom forever and ever. He is a prince and he will bring about that peace. You can expect it. You can expect to be made whole by a prince of peace, a prince of shalom. He is in the renovation business. No human project is beyond his reach. Even the buildings others would condemn as a total loss in his glorious strength and wisdom, he turns it into a head-turning uh, a, a head masterpiece. I'm amazed at the F-35 project at Lockheed. I'm amazed how long it was in the planning and how long it's taken to build it. Not because, well, they should have built it quicker. It's just... It's such a magnificent project. It's such a huge project. I'm amazed at how many people are involved, how many companies involved, how many countries are involved in building this one plane. God takes on projects like that when he takes hold of you and he takes hold of me and he brings all of his infinite wisdom and power and goodness to this gigantic project of the renovation and building of a human being. And he's not starting from scratch like with this plane. He's starting with something like ground zero after 9-11 with your life and my life. He starts with us deeply in the negative. But that name, mighty God, he's a king. He's a, his kingdom is forever. His rule is highly effective. And his rule is highly effective in the lives of his people and in his church as a whole and in its ongoing mission. He always gets the job done. He brings his light to the deepest darkness because nothing can stop him from doing it. He is mighty God. Midian was 150,000 strong, and Israel was going to start with 32,000. The Lord didn't like those numbers, so he reduced it to 10,000 against 150,000. He didn't like those numbers, so he reduced it to 300 against 150,000. That's 500 to 1. God in 300 versus 150,000. It was no contest. Seven seconds into the first round, Midian is on the canvas, and he doesn't get up. He's the mighty God. He's the mighty God. And why is that set forth before you? Because that mighty God will defeat all of your enemies, as our catechism says. And the greatest enemy that we face is sin itself. We knew a fellow who foolishly, absolutely foolishly, without any real knowledge of what he was doing, rappelled down a building in the rain in Dallas and he held on and held on and finally couldn't hold on any longer. It didn't even have gloves on. His hands were absolutely scorched to the bone and fell and crushed his feet. 
And they thought he would not walk, but uh, one of the great foot surgeons in the world was there and put his feet back together and the kids walking and I've heard running because he's crazy. That's why. (laughs) Um, And you see, God, if you bring God a, a human worst case scenario, he will delight to get his hands on you just to show that he's the greatest surgeon in the world. <laughs> you see, it, to, to bring him, if you are the worst case, then you're just going to prove the greatness of his grace. And of course, many of us would argue and say, no, I'm, I'm the worst case. He's already got that. So if he does that with me, he can do it with you as well. And that power is joined to wisdom. He is called the wonderful counselor here. Uh, In Judges Judges 13, 18, the angel of the Lord uh, speaks and says, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? It's the same word. It means incomprehensible. Used in Psalms almost 40 times, like Psalm 45 speaks of God's wondrous deeds, more than can be told. And it it means that God's wonderful works stretch and boggle the mind, like if a guy caught a sailfish on a cane pole. You You just, what? What? That's the feel, you see, of the wondrous works that stun you, that make your mouth hang open. And so he's saying he's a wonder or marvel of a counselor. He's a supernatural counselor. He's off the charts counselor. He leaves your mouth hanging open. He's surpassing extraordinary, marvelous counselor who governs every event in the world with his wisdom. Every event in the world is governed by this one who is surpassing wise. Every event in the church and in your personal life, in the midst of terrible loss and and devastating upheavals, when everything seems to be shattered into pieces, still he is unlimited and breathtaking in his wisdom. If you could see it, even in the midst of your tragedy, your mouth would hang open. He's a wonder of a counselor. And of course, this is where his word comes in. It's interesting at the transfiguration when Christ became like lightning and shone forth before the disciples. Really one word of instruction. And and we we should take this to heart. God says, I want to tell you one thing, one thing. Hear him. Hear him. That's pretty bold. That's pretty, it's like of all the many things that the Father at that critical moment as he comes down in the glory cloud like on Mount Sinai and here's another mountain, here's the glory cloud and now God's going to speak and it's not the Ten Commandments, it's this commandment, hear him, hear him. And so Paul says in Colossians 3, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Because he's an incomprehensible counselor. If if the word is not your meditation, then you forfeited a wonderful, life-engaging, life-changing, life-restructuring, life-healing 
counsel from Jesus because he's the wonderful counselor. And then his power is joined to love. He is the everlasting father. Everlasting father, always your father, always there for you, always watching you. How children, your dad's reading the paper at the pool and you just have to say over and over again, Daddy, Daddy, watch. Jump off into the water. Daddy, Daddy, watch. You know, okay, watching. The father never takes his eyes off of you. Got this infinite capacity that he never takes his eyes off of you for a second because of his unlimited love for you. Always guarding, always treasuring, always listening, always aware of everything you go through. We're always in his presence. As, as David thinks about this in Psalm 139, he says, such thoughts are too wonderful for me. There's that word again. <laughs> so wonderful, amazing that you would think of me like this. And this son is the one in regal authority and love, says to Israel, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Here's Jesus saying, I'm the mother hen who would have gathered you in under my wings. And you'll gather anyone, anyone who will rush under those wings. They're there. They're there. And another sign of the love is that last line, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The Lord of hosts, Lord Sabaoth, the Lord who has unending hosts at his disposal. Though, of course, they don't really mount anything to his power, but it's just a way to show forth the power that he's the Lord over an unending hosts, of unending hosts to do his will. But the zeal of the Lord, the zeal, if he has a burning, burning love for us that will not let us go and will not turn us uh, turn away from doing us good, then he will not fail to make light shine into our darkness. Why? Because he's got his zeal for it. Can you imagine? We, we, in our prayers, we, as you've heard me say before, we, we, think that he's the the mother at the sink talking on the phone and we're pulling at her skirt trying to get her attention. His zeal, the zeal of the Lord will give this son. The zeal of the Lord gives all of these names over to you and says, here, I'm this kind of God for you and this kind of God and this kind of God. And my zeal has accomplished this. Zeal points to his deep love. It points to his jealousy and profound desire. Imagine a mother in the zeal to save her child, and she does save her child, and her hands are scarred for life. There's zeal. There's zeal. Veterans crippled in wheelchairs and scarred. And, of course, amazingly, in heaven, his scars are there. The scars of the cross are there forever for us to see the symbol of his zeal for doing us good. The zeal of the Lord. 
Behold his scars. He suffered God's wrath. God, Jesus has been at war, bearing the full onslaught of the punishment of God that we deserve. He and the Father working out this glorious salvation so that they could embrace us fully. It crushed him and ruined him, and it was all for us. We will be restored. He always bears his scars the glorious symbols of his zeal for our good. We enjoy shalom and peace. He bore God's wrath for us. And so, light, light breaks out in your darkness. Trust him. Notice this this phrase. It, It begins, to us. To us. Same message of the angels. To you is born. To you. For us. For us. For all who will trust him. The full glory of this salvation is ours. For the taking. He comes to the helpless. He comes to the darkness with his light. Will you not trust him? Especially at this celebration of the coming of the light into the world. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for giving us a son. What a son you've given us. The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. May we embrace him in all of his glory in all of his beauty, in all of his capacity to do us good. May we trust him, Lord. And may we open up our lives and all the dark things that are still there. And some of us, Lord, have not even begun to give up our lives to your salvation. We think that you don't want us. We think that you are waiting for us to improve. We think that you're going to wait for us to get our act together. And you come to us and say, I'm ready right now. I'm ready right now to start shining light into whatever is going on inside of you. Are you right now to forgive you of all of your sins and bring you into my presence and begin the wonderful process of changing? Oh, Lord, may we not shy away. May we not run from you. May we not make you out to be a different kind of God than the God who for his zeal to do his people good gave even his own son to stand in their place, to be joined to them, to gain for them a standing and acceptance and a favor with God and a final kingship that will manifest itself in the new heavens and new earth where they will reign forever and ever with Jesus. Your zeal, Lord, Thank you. Convince us. Convince us, Lord. Give us faith for Jesus' sake. Pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org.
Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?